0: Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. Awesome. Thanks, Neil. Hi, everyone. Um, it's exciting to be with you on Palm Sunday. Um, that got, a, got an mmm from over here. That's good. Well, I'm going to say um, I'm going to p- pitch up on the screen here um, of Palm Sunday. It's coming any moment now. Um, I'm going to say Palm Sunday or maybe it should be called uh, Donkey Sunday when we get that picture. Um, because this, if you read your email this morning, um, I'm, by the way, I'm excited to get daily devotions this week. I've got no idea what's coming um, this week, um, but really excited to be um, hearing from a bunch of guys in our church family. Um, make sure you're signed up to our emails. Um, if you didn't get an email this morning about Easter devotions, and you want to get them, go say hi at the info point afterwards. So we're just going to be taking time all of this week um, to think about what Jesus did um, through this Easter week. But here we are. This is Palm Sunday, or maybe it should be called uh, Donkey Sunday. Okay. Because this is a story, um, like you will know, as you read this morning in your email, this is a story that appears in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke and john um we're going to read from john's account today um because he literally does say palms he's the only one that does specify palm branches um, and like you know some of the details in these four accounts are a little bit different um because they're written by four different authors um writing from a different perspective remembering different things um different individuals retelling the same story and they've all got particular things they want to emphasize um but Pardon me. Um, We've just spent the last few months in this room um, uh, talking about the story of the Exodus. And we're talking about the God that goes with us, the God who gives his presence to be with his people. And I I was thinking about this. the, The last verse that Anna read last week from Exodus 40, it says this, it says the Israelites set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and there was a fire inside the cloud by night visible to those, uh, visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. It paints this really exciting picture. It's like this cliffhanger at the end of Exodus. We're like, yes, we're on this journey. God's with us. We're just going to go where he goes. We're going to stop when he says, "Stop. We're going to follow the clouds. Sometimes it's fire and lightning as well. It's kind of dynamic and exciting, and it's going to be loads of fun. But then you realize that's not really how the story plays out, is it? Some stuff goes wrong in the middle. Um, and there's a bit of a gap <laughs> between the end of the book of Exodus. And where we find ourselves on Palm Sunday or Donkey Sunday, if you like. Because eventually the people of Israel, they do get to the promised land. But there's some people there already, so they have to drive them out. They have to fight them. They have to take up arms and run them out of the nation. And then there's this period of time where they're ruled over by the judges. These people called judges. And... um, Again, there's lots of wars. There's lots of fighting. There's lots of battles. And then eventually, the people of Israel think, do you know what? All these other nations around us, they have got kings. So let's have a king. Like, it was God's idea that he would be their king. But the people said, no, we want a king that that we can see and touch and hear with our own ears. So we want a king. So they get this king called Saul. Doesn't pan out so well. Again, there's... There's a bunch of battles. There's a bunch of fighting. This guy, David, shows up. He's a bit more like the kind of king that God had in mind. Um, There's a fun story that you'll know about him um, having a battle with a a giant called Goliath. He, like, picks some stones out of the river, hits him on the head, right between the eyes, then chops his head off. Um, Anyway, David becomes king, and then kind of things seem pretty good for for a fairly short while. And then his sons and his descendants become kings. And again, just lots of stuff goes wrong. There's lots of fighting. Um, And eventually the kingdom gets broken up into two parts, the north and the south. So the northern tribes of Israel, they get defeated by the Assyrians. And those 10 tribes eventually just get lost, scattered like sand across the ancient Near East. And then a little while later, about 150 years later than that, the nation of Judah is conquered by Babylon and taken off into exile. And um, they stay in exile for, for a number of centuries until Babylon itself gets conquered. And there's a king called Cyrus the Great of Persia. And he sends some of these Judahites, these people from the nation of Judah, back to resettle the land. There's some mixed success. Um, you know, they build a new temple they um reinhabit the land um this new temple um is the second temple because obviously Solomon, I say obviously, just fill in the gaps for you, a guy called Solomon built the first one, these guys built another one, and it's the second temple, so we call this whole period when we're talking about it second temple Judaism, and this second temple judaism that's the that's the age that Jesus is born into. Um, that's the atmosphere and the culture that he lived in. And again, you get to the end of the Old Testament. You've got all these stories. The people are back in the land. But there's still, s- there's still this gap in between the New Testament and the Old Testament. Um, and I don't want to draw too great a line, too much of a parallel. But I was talking to Ralph this week. And we were talking about this guy. We were talking about Din Djarin the Mandalorian. And he was saying to me, John, I watched season two, and then season three started, and there was a bunch of stuff happening that I didn't understand. And I said, well, Ralph, that's because the story continued in another random series that you didn't watch, because they didn't tell you that you have to watch it to understand season three. Now, I'm not saying that the biblical authors engaged in sloppy screenwriting like the guys at Lucasfilm might have done, but there are some gaps between what we read in the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a few hundred years where well, let me tell you some things. More people go to war with one another. So the Israelites are back in Judah. And then eventually, this guy called Alexander the Great, you might have heard of him, because he was great at uh, killing people. So he, he swept through the ancient world with his, army, with his Greek armies. And he took over the land um and uh then there was an up guys called the Maccabees now this does show my age but i can't think of the term Maccabees without thinking of this guy um you can't quite see but this is the holiday armadillo every time i hear the word Maccabees i think of the holiday armadillo i'm very sorry if i've brought a poor influence into your life but anyway these guys called the Maccabees um they were kind of warrior kings of Israel. They, um, they fought off the Greeks and they reoccupied Jerusalem again. And these were just like 150 years before Jesus was born. And this idea that somehow the people of Israel needed someone to come in and fight off the bad guys this idea is rich in their minds. This idea permeates the culture that Jesus is born into. I don't know if any of you have watched The Chosen. Um, we've been enjoying season three recently. And you can tell just some of the little conversations they've put in the script of The Chosen. People are like, maybe he's the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. And I don't know if ordinary kind of first century um Judeans talk like that much, but at least in the chosen they did. Like at least in the chosen there's this expectation, there's this uh, there's this cultural waiting that God is gonna send them a messiah. God is gonna send them someone from the line of David who is gonna put the bad guys in their place so we can be the champs again. And as it turns out, that's not quite what Jesus came to do. So let's read John chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. The triumphal entry, this is titled in my Bible. The next day, when the large crowd that had come to the festival, we're going to talk about that festival in a minute, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. So there's a contrast here I want us to pay attention to today. Verse 13, the crowd chose palm branches, but in verse 14, Jesus chose a donkey. The crowd chose the palm branches, but Jesus chose the donkey. Let's just zoom in verses 12 and 13. So the next day, when the large crowds that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took the palm branches and went out to meet him. So this, these large crowds, they are in town for this festival um, called Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. You might have heard of it. So what happened in this um, festival was that people from all over Israel and the ancient world would come to Jerusalem for like a week And what they would do is they would put up tents. And part of the reason they would put up tents is to remember the time they wandered through the desert. I think that's really fun. Because, like, we were just thinking about Exodus. Now, here these guys are thinking about the Exodus. And it was kind of like, it was partly to celebrate that, and it was partly like a harvest festival thing going on. And they would decorate their shelters that they made with a number of things. But one of those things they would put on them is palm branches. And one of the other things they would be doing when they were together for the festival is they would be particularly reading, hearing, listening to, saying, singing a particular group of psalms called the Hallel Psalms. And those are Psalms 113 to 118. And that's why they quote Psalm 118 here, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Of Israel so they're actually they're quoting the song that they've just been singing this song is in their head there's this wave of expectation that maybe this is the guy and all of these people as well they were people that have traveled from like I said all over Judea some have come down from Galilee literally following Jesus so they've been hanging out with him in Galilee and they followed him down to Jerusalem and this word Hosanna it's an interesting word Um, So the word we read in English is Hosanna. Um, you, You might know that the New Testament is written in Greek, but this is actually a Hebrew word that is transliterated into Greek. So rather than the Greek authors trying to find a translation of this word, they just put the Hebrew word in but spelt it in Greek. That's a transliteration. And it literally means save us now or save we pray or save I pray. And when they're shouting Hosanna, saying, God, save us, they're expecting a particular kind of saving. If you read those Hallel Psalms, Psalms 113 to 18, God saves Israel by destroying their enemies. That's kind of the sentiment of those Psalms. You know, salvation to these people didn't mean God save me from my sins so I get to go to heaven. That's not what they were thinking. It meant, save me from these enemies who were trying to kill me by killing them first, please. That's what salvation meant to the first century Jew. See, they were hoping for another Simon Maccabee. He was the military leader of Israel who a few centuries earlier had driven out the Greek forces from Jerusalem. And Do you know how the people celebrated? with a chorus of praise and the waving of palm branches. So palm branches, they weren't just a fun thing to wave around. They're a symbol of Israel's national identity. They may as well have had the flag of their nations. Not that they had a flag at that point. People didn't have flags back then. But, you know, for example, like, we know that Herod at that time was making coins that had the palm branch on them. It was a symbol of their national identity. So when the people were shouting, Hosanna, you could say they were really shouting, God, come and save us from these Romans. Like you saved us from the Greeks with a military victory, with a show of strength and power. Like, come and make Israel great again. And salvation was coming, just not in the way they expected. The crowd were expecting a warrior king, but Jesus was a servant king. He was one that chose to ride a donkey and not a war horse. See, in verse 14, it says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. And again, he's quoting from Zechariah 9. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. where the crowd chose palm branches, Jesus chose a donkey. And he's quoting, John, the writer of this gospel, is quoting from Zechariah chapter 9, this great prophetic promise about Israel's coming king who's going to do away with the war horses and the bows and the spears and ride in on a donkey. But why a donkey? We see a donkey is an animal of peace, of humility, He says, I'm not here to fight. I'm here to serve. It's like the opposite of the war horse. Now, if you um, travel to any major European city, if you walk around long enough, you'll see there is always some guy on a horse, on a statue somewhere. Um, Especially if you go somewhere that is good at conquering other people. So if you go to London, there's lots of dudes on horses. If you go to Rome, that is the city of dudes on horses. They're everywhere. It's like this display of power and strength that says, look how impressive we are. Look at our military history. We've got dudes on horses. But Jesus, he chose a donkey. Not just any donkey, but it says a young donkey. Like the least impressive specimen of the least impressive animal out there. But that's not to say he's not the king. Zechariah prophesies that the king will come on a donkey because his kingdom isn't based on military might, but it's a kingdom of peace. You know, we're going to discover this week as we engage with Easter story that the way Jesus comes to power, that he's glorified, isn't through a show of military strength. It's not through violent power but he's enthroned by self-giving, self-sacrificial love. You know, there's this other occasion in the New Testament where people are expecting one thing of Jesus and he shows up in a completely unexpected way. Revelation 5. There's a whole lot of fun things going on in Revelation, but I like this little passage where it says, one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Don't worry too much about what that means. Just pay attention to the fact that he's been called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Then he says, then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is actually a lamb who's been slain. I'm sorry if this ruins one of your favorite worship songs, but he's not the lion and the lamb. He's the lion who is actually a lamb. He's not both at the same time. The way that Jesus conquers, the way that Jesus gains victory is by laying down his life. It's this beautiful bait and switch. And this is the Jesus that we're called to follow and become like. This is entirely consistent with the message that he came to preach and live and demonstrate about the kingdom. we do not got time to read it all, but Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, is this beautiful, maybe it's a poem, maybe it's a hymn that Paul reached for when he was trying to describe what Jesus was like, how he emptied himself, how he humbled himself and laid down his life. And that's the Jesus that we're called to imitate. He's not just the exception, so we get to carry on doing whatever we want. He's the template. He's the one we're called to follow and to imitate. And this isn't, just, this isn't about the ends justifying the means either. Because you know, Jesus could have, if he wanted to, ridden into town on a war horse, could have killed some Romans, could have been a military hero, but that wasn't the kingdom that he was building. Jesus' whole life and ministry points us to this open-handed, sacrificial kingdom that he's building. Because in the kingdom where Jesus is king, there's good news for the poor. There's freedom for the captives. In this kingdom where Jesus is king, the lame, the blind, are not cast out. They're healed and restored. It's the kingdom where the peacemakers are called sons of God. It's the kingdom where the pure in heart see God, where those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice are satisfied. That's the kingdom that Jesus came to be king of. And that's why he chose a donkey over the palm branches. Um, I basically wanted to um, give up writing this talk and just point you to go and read um, a brilliant article by a guy called Esau McCauley, who wrote in Christianity Today this week. He made all the points that I was going to make, but just much better because he's much smarter than me. Um, but he's, a, he's an author and pastor and prof- professor of New Testament studies. He's some more quality. Go check out Christianity Today um, this week. He said this, Jesus' claim to be the Messiah was not simply about a goal, God's rule over all things. He and the crowd agreed on that point. His earthly life and ministry were also about the means of accomplishing that goal, namely sacrificial love. Jesus gave us not only the gift of forgiveness flowing through his passion and resurrection, but also a way to follow. And he says that needs to inform our public and private witness. He's talking about the way that we show up in public as Christians and behind closed doors as well. So this Palm Sunday, let's reflect on this coming King, Jesus Christ whose ways that we are called to walk in and to follow and whose death and resurrection is going to be in front of us. We're going to be thinking about it at this time of year. You know, this Thursday, we'll be thinking about Jesus' new commandment that he gave on Maundy Thursday, to love one another. We remember that the kind of king he is, where he's the king that gets down and washes his disciples' feet. Even as we consider the Jesus that turns over the tables in the temple, he's removing the barriers and the burdens from those who are simply trying to be obedient by offering their sacrifices. Let's remember that kind of king that he is. And as we remember his bruised and broken body, nailed to a cross and lifted high for all to see, let's remember that's the kind of king that he is. And we'll remember this time next week that he was raised from the dead, that the grave was not able to hold him. Let's remember the kind of king he is and the kind of victory he won. Because what if Jesus, Jesus wasn't the king that you expected, but he was exactly the king that you needed? And maybe it's only with hindsight you'll see it. In verse 16, I love this. Just gives me a lot of hope. It says his disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. It's only in the light of the cross that any of this makes sense, right? Why would you live a life laid down for others, a self-sacrificial life where you would pour yourself out for the good of others and the good of the world if there wasn't a resurrection coming it's only after looking back that they realized what was going on, so we can, don't, we can be sympathetic to the crowd, the way of the palm branches, I mean I'm even sympathetic to the Pharisees who just wanted to see God's kingdom come, right They went about it completely wrong, but they just wanted to see God's kingdom come. It's only with hindsight, this side of the cross, this side of knowing that Jesus' life and death and resurrection was the ultimate victory. It's only this side that any of it makes sense. So as we close out our time this morning, could we allow Jesus to come and meet us in a way that we completely do not expect this Easter. Maybe the things that we're asking him to do and intervene in our lives, maybe we're waving palm branches, but instead we need to allow Jesus to ride in on a donkey and come and be our prince of peace this Easter. So why don't you stand up? I want to pray for you. And the fun thing is we get a whole week to reflect on this. We're going to put this Jesus, this Prince of Peace in front of us this week. Let's take these opportunities to reflect on what it means that he came to lay down his life for us. I want to pray for you. Jesus, we look to you again this Palm Sunday, this special time of year when we remember those events in Jerusalem a couple of thousand years ago. Jesus, we ask that you would come and meet us in ways that are unexpected. God, you would open our eyes to who you are in new ways. Lord, for those of us that are new to walking with you and those of us that have been walking with you for decades. God, we invite you to upset our expectations of what you're like because you are so much better than what we could expect. So we just invite you to come and be yourself with us hope you enjoyed today's message if you want to find out more head to our website finelife.co.uk or follow us on instagram god bless and see you soon